John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know that the, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, uh, LLC. It's good to be with you on the Sunday. Uh, happy Sunday to you. I hope uh, you got the chance to enjoy a bit of the nice weather yesterday. It was very beautiful out in Vancouver. Uh, and I hear the rain is coming, uh, which is quite typical at <laughs> this time of the year. But rain is good too. Uh, it wash away, washes away all the cotton balls that's flying in the air, which uh, in our area causes me to get quite stuffy. Um, yeah, why don't we say a quick word of prayer uh, just to uh, dedicate this time to the Lord again. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you uh, for this moment that as the church, God, we can gather from different parts of the lower mainland uh, to worship uh, and to praise your name. Uh, Father, this morning, as we continue on the series, may you continue to meet with us and we just want to hear you speak and we want uh, to hear the words of truth, God, that come from you. So give us ears to hear, uh, hearts to comprehend and eyes just to see you and, and just your all your beauty uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start off by sharing a story, as I often do, uh, with with on Sundays. And the story starts off uh, with a man named Hiram, uh, Hiram Bingham, and he's an American uh, American archaeologist. And he set off for an adventure in Peru in 1911. And this might be familiar for some of you. Uh, in 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 uh, in the South Americas, the Incas, the Inca people were um, were eradicated. They were killed off uh, by the Spanish invaders in the 16th century. So lots of uh, ruins and treasures were left behind and, and explorers were trying to get into these areas to discover these lost places. Well, he was intrigued by this and he's a lecturer, an archaeologist, so he was commissioned by Yale University uh, to lead a team uh, to go to South America and also it was a joint expedition with uh, with the Peruvian uh, authorities to find what was known as the lost city of the Incas. So a good old adventure story uh, to go uh, to South America, America to discover this place. Well, they traveled by foot and by mule because they're going through the dense uh, and forested mountainsides. And they're making their way through this dense forest in what's called the Cusco region in Peru. And this is a, about 600 kilometers uh, away from, from Lima. Well. When he first went there, he was led part way by a farmer. A farmer was his guide. And he's like, this farmer's like, I know the lost city that you're talking about. Follow me this way. So the farmer led him for half of the way where he met up with another small group of peasants in the villages and where the, this group of peasants led him uh, the rest of the way. And the leader of this group of peasants that knew the way was an 11 year old uh, shepherd boy uh, that, that knew the way, that understood uh, how to get to this lost city. And they kept climbing, they kept going. And this group uh, that was led, uh, led to this discovery or rediscovery uh, in July 11th, um, in July of 1911. So this year marks the 110th year uh, anniversary of this, of uh, what is commonly known as Machu Picchu. Uh, so it was through this way of discovering that he climbed this uh, mountainside and feasted his eyes on this scene. Um, 
well, this actually wasn't the lost city that he was looking for. Uh, but <laughs> he, he, they accidentally discovered Machu Picchu. And then uh, a little bit further, they discovered the lost city that they're looking for. But it was through this way that they discovered it on July 24th, uh, 19, 1911. And Machu Picchu means old peak. And it's been empty since the 16th century. Uh, hidden in the mountainside, no one really knew. It was only by myth and legend. And uh, fun fact, a little bit of fun fact, Hiram Bingham... Uh, uh, actually inspired a little bit of the character Indiana Jones, so they actually kind of look a little bit alike in the ways that they uh, uh, that 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 they that they dress. Well, th this royal estate was used by the Inca emperors and nobles, but nowadays it's a, a world heritage site. Many of uh, many people travel from around the world. Some of you have been there yourselves. So it used to be a place for kings and queens. Now it's for travelers bloggers and Instagrammers uh, <laughs> to go there and to take beautiful pictures. Uh, I would love to go there uh, one day. But but for those that have gone, you would know this. You can you have two options. Uh, it's really just one way to get in uh, back in the day with the Inca Trail, which is a four-day hike uh, up to this mountainside. But now you could take a train called the Hiram Bingham, uh, which is named after this explorer, uh, to go to the mountainside. So you can either take the four-day hike or you can take a train that takes you pretty close uh, up to the peak. But what's my point here? Well, th this this mountainside, this treasure of a site, Machu Picchu, uh, only had one way in and one way out. It was through the Inca Trail and only those that knew the way could lead them. And it surprises me, astounds me, that 11-year-old shepherd boy who knew the region would be like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, it's like my own backyard. I just play there every day. You know, like, I'll lead you. I'll lead you to this to, to this place. And today we're continuing on in the series called Faith and Life, uh, Why We Believe What We Believe. And we're addressing the question, the big question of how can there only be one way to God? How can there only be one way uh, to God? Uh, it, that Doesn't that sound a little bit arrogant? Doesn't that sound like you know you have a secret and you know better and you're superior than other people uh, around you? And some would ask, uh, kind of, in line with this question, like, don't all religions teach the same thing anyways? So that why does it matter whether Christianity is right or wrong? Or each religion has part of the truth and no one can see the whole truth. Uh, it's kind of like uh, in The Reason for God, uh, written by Tim Keller, he shares an example of how different religions uh, are, everyone's blind, but all touching the same elephant. So the person that touches the trunk thinks it's a snake. Uh, the person that touches the trunk of the uh, the legs of the elephant thinks it's a tree, uh, and and so on and so forth. Uh, so isn't that true? Like you know, we we're all blind. So how can we exactly see the whole picture? Well, Tim Keller flips that question around. It's like, well, someone knew that's an elephant. Uh, <laughs> the fact that you said that there's an elephant, well, who sees the whole picture? Uh, so that that the illustration kind of falls through. Or another question, uh, religious belief. It's really just the way you're raised, right? It's this cultural and it's historical, like depending on which country you're born in and the family you're born in. You're Christian because your family was Christian and your family before that was Christian. Uh, if I was born in another country, I would be Muslim or I'll be Buddhist or I'll be whatever. Uh, that's another question. Uh, but I found this quote interesting. Uh, by just addressing that a little bit, uh, by Alvin uh, Plantenga, who's a Christian philosopher, he says this, uh, suppose we concede that if I had been born of Muslim parents in Morocco r rather than Christian parents in Michigan, my beliefs would be would have been quite different. But the same goes for the plurist. The plurist meaning those that kind of uh, believe there's in one truth or a merger of different truths. Uh, if the plur pluralist had been born in Morocco, he probably wouldn't be a pluralist. Does it follow that? 
His pluralist beliefs are produced in him by an unreliable belief producing process. That the reason why he's a pluralist, the reason why he may be an atheist, is also the same reasoning why someone might be a Buddhist, uh, someone might be a Muslim. So who really sees clearly? Um, but I really think here, the question of how can there only be one way to God, uh, why it rubs us the wrong way here in the West, and why it rubs so many of our friends and family um, that don't call themselves Christians or maybe prescribe to a certain religion, uh, is really this one question. It's that it is arrogant to insist your religion is right and to convert others to it. That This is really the, one of the biggest problems with us in the West. Uh, the question, though, is, is, is why? Well... It's because for us, I, I can't speak to all parts of North America, though I believe it to be true, but especially here in Vancouver, that we live in an age of inclusivity. At inclusivity, where everyone ought to be included. And, and the biggest problem of Christianity is that it's exclusive. And the fact that it's exclusive, we automatically assume that it's arrogant. We automatically assume that it's uninformed. And us living here in the West, in Vancouver, we don't want to be that bigot. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to. Uh, we, we don't want to exclude people, uh, and and that's part of the problem. Is that we don't want to exclude anyone. So uh, so some of us uh, in the West here might say uh, that we all have a different kind of truth, and that's our answer to that. Uh, we all have a different kind of truth uh, because we don't want to be arrogant and uninformed. Uh, so we're just gonna kind of find a middle ground between things. But here here's the thing. Truth. By nature, truth in itself excludes. Like, tr the, the, like truth by itself excludes. If something is true, that means there's something else that isn't true. So truth itself, uh, by nature, excludes. Excludes, which we may think as arrogant. Uh, we may think uh, that's uh, the superior way of, of living. But just by definition of truth, that's what it is. So in order for us not to be arrogant, we kind of you know find a middle ground uh, again. Uh, but here's the thing, uh, if, we, if we're going to say that uh, truth is relative and tr your truth is your truth, my truth is my, you know, my truth, um, or, or even the fact that no one has a truth, that itself is a truth claim. Does that make sense? Like I've said that before, that itself is a truth claim, that when you're excluding people, uh, that makes you an exclusivist as well. So like the same standards that you're excluding people saying that you can't have a truth. Well, you just said that truth over me and you're excluding, excluding me. So you're excluding the exclusivist. Like you're excluding the person you're calling exclusive. Um, so there's this kind of thinking here. But, but the bottom line, why we do that, it's because we, we, we don't want to be arrogant. Uh, we don't want to say we're superior. We have the answer to things. But this is very much a Western idea. If you go to many Eastern countries, you would ask, they're like, Buddhism is the best. <laughs> like, like this, like Islam is the best. It's actually here in the West where there's this idea that we don't want to rub each other the wrong way. We want to get along. We want to find the middle ground uh, that we want to s feel like we're, we're uh, educated and, and not uh, uninformed, that we kind of choose uh, this, this way. So here, here's kind of an idea for us that it's no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions is right as well. So when you say that there's no one religion is, is right, you're also making a truth claim. You're also excluding people. You're also boxing people into a certain way. 
So really, we're all exclusive in our beliefs, uh, no matter what kind of belief uh, that, that, that we have. But the question I really want to address today is why is Christianity exclusive? Like, why is it exclusive? And I want to suggest to us this big idea this morning that Christianity is the way. It's exclusive because Jesus is the way. That Christianity is the way because Jesus is the way. That exclusivity is built into Christianity because Jesus is the way. And it all hinges on this one person. That we can't have it both ways. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as Simon read for us, either he is or he's not. There's no middle ground there. It's it's like it's built into the, our our beliefs. It's built into our understanding, and that's where all the mess ups of the church, both past and present, and we'll address that in another another day. Why is the church involved for so much bad uh, and evil in the history? Well, all the mess ups in the past by the church wasn't because of Jesus. It wasn't because of Jesus and who He is and what He has done. It was because of the people who have misunderstood the heart of the gospel. Uh, I've mentioned the Incas. Uh, that was by the Spanish, the conquistadors that came to conquer the world. Well, they also came in the name of God and the name of religion. But I really think that was a, a gross, a gross, uh, a, a grossly misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the heart of the gospel. Where the good news is that God Himself came down to earth to save us and to die for us, and, uh, die a death that He didn't deserve, so that He could make a way for all of us so that we can have life. And if Jesus really is who he says he is, then yes, there is only one way. Yes, there is only one way because that's the only option that we're given. Uh, in a conversation Tim Keller was having, he was invited to a conversation. Um, uh, Tim Keller, by the way, is a pastor and theologian in New York. Um, and in a, in a conversation he was having in, in a university, it was a conversation between a Muslim and a Jewish person and also him as a Christian pastor. Uh, and he said this, that if Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right about that, that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. So really, the, the, why Christianity and us as Christians say that Christianity is the way is that because Jesus is the way that we believe he is who he says he is. And then he proves that through his life, through the power of, uh, through his death, through the power of his resurrection, and also through the way that he ascended. That that is what we're basing our belief and hinging our belief all on. And I know this probably sounds uh, pretty controversial. If you're dropping into our service for the very first time uh, this morning, and you're like, this is the first service I've ever been to, uh, this might sound pretty controversial. Uh, to many of us, especially here uh, in Vancouver. But I really believe this, that Christianity really is the answer to the world. Christianity really is the answer to the world, not because of the Christians per se, not because of the actions, but because of the person that Christianity points to and the person that we follow and that we believe in. Now, what is religion after all? Like any kind of religion. Like religion really is a set of beliefs that we have. And this set of beliefs uh, uh, guides us in terms of how we live our lives. A set of beliefs that guides us how we live our lives or how we want to spend our time uh, here on earth. Take, for example, uh, those who believe that this world is an accident. Right? 
you believe this world is an accident. There was a, uh, there's all random and we all just came about. It just so happened uh, uh, that that's how it worked out. And this life, we just so happened to be. And then one day we'll be dust and that's it. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no afterlife. There's no reason for any of our being. Uh, so therefore, uh, we should do everything we can in this life to be happy. Do what moves you. Uh, do what pleases you. Do do what you enjoy. What gives you the most pleasure. That's what you should do. Well, some call that a worldview. But that operates as a religion as well. There's a set of beliefs that the world is random, that there's no purpose to any of it, that there's no reason for any of it, which guides how you live. Therefore, I will live to my own pleasure and live to my own will because this life is it. YOLO. Like, that's all that matters. Like, right? It's a religion of itself. It's a belief of, 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 of itself. But the gospel, at the heart of Christianity, if understood well and lived out well, I believe Christianity's live when Christianity is lived out the way, the Jesus way, it really can be good to the world. Christians believe that all humans are made in the image of God and that everyone has inherent worth. If we truly live that out and believe that, then how, uh, how much peace would there be in the world? Uh, a way of understanding one another. Uh, Christians believe in universal sin, meaning that no one is perfect. No one, uh, that everyone will make mistakes so that we can't say I am better than the other person. Christians believe that living out our faith does not give our salvation because it can't be earned, but it's purely from Jesus who graciously and mercifully gives us the salvation. And Christians believe that salvation does not come from our own performance, but from our admittance, that we're not perfect, uh, from our own failures. And it's from admitting our failures of, that we receive the Savior we receive this Jesus, which is why it's so important to understand that Christianity is the way because Jesus is the way and it hinges all on Jesus. So we come now to this point. There's a long way of saying, why is Jesus the way? Like, why is Jesus the way where we come? And that's where we come to our passage this morning. Uh, just because, uh, just before this chapter and chapter uh just before chapter uh, 14, well, obviously it's chapter 13, but Jesus washed, uh, in this chapter, he washed the disciples' feet and he predicts Judas' betrayal and also predicts Peter would deny him three times in this pretty heavy chapter. And Jesus, in, in the last couple chapters specifically, is telling his disciples time and time again that he's going to leave. I'm going to leave you guys. It's time for me to go uh, back to where I need to go, uh, back to sit at the right hand of, of God in heaven, and uh, you will have everything that you need, so you better prepare yourself as well for my departure. And he's predicting his, 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 um, uh, his crucifixion on the cross, but also his resurrection to come. And so we come here into chapter uh, 14, where Jesus starts by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's like, all right, everybody, calm down for a little bit. Everyone's getting really worked up about what's going to happen. Everybody calm down, relax. Do not let your heart be troubled. And Jesus is the way. Christianity is the way because Jesus is the way. Because at the heart of Christianity is a promise. It's a promise for, for all of us who believe. And it starts like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have not, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So at, a, at the heart of Christianity is this promise. And this is just a sample of it. 
of the promise that we have, that God is for us and that God is with us. And that we don't need to be in trouble. Uh, no, no, we don't need to be troubled uh, because we have Jesus and that we can trust in this Jesus because he is who he says he is. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That's the language we get here. The original language, uh, language suggests that something is acting upon our troubling, that's causing our troubling. It's not so much of a self-cause, but something uh, it's causing our troubling. And if you've been aware uh, in the last year, there's been a lot of things like the coronavirus that's been causing trouble. That's been ex that's causing us to experience this trouble, not only physically, but also of our hearts, that our hearts are unsettled, that our hearts are troubled. And Jesus here starts by saying, don't let that trouble you. Don't let that trouble you. Instead, what's the, what, what's, what's the antidote? Instead, believe in God, but also in me. That's a claim already of, God, of Jesus uh, declaring his divinity. You believe in God, believe also in me because I am God. The, the antidote to a troubled heart isn't the ways of the world, but the antidote to a troubled heart is a belief in Jesus. Uh, it's a belief in him uh, that only he can settle uh, our hearts and the turmoils that's going on. And why shouldn't we be troubled? Well, there's a promise here as we read in this passage uh, that there's enough room for us in the Father's house. The promise that there's a room being prepared for us. Um, uh, and, and I love this image that there's a space for us at God's house. It's not a hotel, all right? There's not a place that you stop by and you move on to next. It's a house. It's actually a home. That's the word, the meaning of that. That there's a house in God's home for you. Uh, it isn't one of those creepy kind of sayings where, you know, we've been expecting you. You know, and it's, not, it's not one of those kind of creepy sayings. It, 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 it's, it's an understanding of uh, excited anticipation that God has saved a place for you, that there's a reservation for you. It's like when you walk into that hotel room and there's like, welcome, Doug, right? You know, like, welcome, like we've been expecting you. This place is especially prepared for you. And the whole message of the Christian gospel is that there's been invitation that's been sent out and that we just need to RSVP. Are you attending? Are you coming? Are you, there's a room prepared for you. Uh, there's a place for you in God's house, but are you coming? Uh, we're wanting you. You've been invited. And just imagine again, right? I use that example. Like when you see your name on that reservation card or uh, when you go to a restaurant and you tell them it's your birthday, your friend's birthday, and they bring you that treat, that cake, and it says, happy birthday, X, fill in your name, right? That gives you joy. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm known, right? Like I'm wanted, I'm known, I was expected. And this is the idea that we get here. That, that Jesus is saying, I'm going, there's a, in my father's house, there's many rooms uh, and there's a place for you uh, and you're wanted and you're known and, and God is expecting uh, you to come. So the promise of there being room for us even, uh, that there is room for you in heaven. There isn't only 144,000 seats, that there's a place for you to be there, that, the, the, that there is a place for you to belong, that God has a space for you. Another promise that we see here, that, 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 that the promise that Jesus will prepare a place, that the place is being prepared. So not only is there a place for you, but it's being prepared specifically for you. Now, as I was reading this, does this mean that God's house is really messy? You know, like, you know, it's kind of like you have guests over. He's like, I got to prepare the place. Uh, God's house isn't ready for you. The bed's not made or like the food isn't on the table. Uh, is, is that what, what that means? 
not not so much. The idea here is that we we, we uh, it's not so much of the place isn't prepared, but we haven't been given um, access to the house yet. Uh, that's kind of the understanding of it. That the way to the house hasn't been made yet. So my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, when I'm not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you, right? Jesus is saying, I'm going there to prepare a place. In other words, I'm going to prepare a way to give you access. I'm getting the keys, right? I'm getting the keys for you. It's not that the space isn't ready for you, but you don't have access to that room. You don't have access to that place. Uh, which kind of builds up the anticipation to what Jesus is about to say. So G we get a promise that there's a room for us. We got a promise that Jesus is preparing the way for us, uh, that, that Jesus is, is making a way for us, and he's stopping every obstacle. Because some of you might be thinking, you know what, I'm not good enough to get to heaven. Uh, there's, there's so many things an obstacle in me seeing, seeing and experiencing God. And that is true. We are not good enough to get in heaven. There's nothing we can ever do to make our way into heaven. And there's many obstacles, but Jesus is saying, I'm making a way. Whatever shortcomings you have, whatever obstacles you have, as, as Jocelyn shared in, in the, um, just before the communion time, uh, the, the, um, the offering time, yeah, God is a God that moves mountains. He is a God that calms seas. He, he makes a way. He, that is who he is. So whatever it is you think that's keeping you away from God, God can take care of that. And he is making a way. He has already made a way to remove those obstacles so that you can experience God, so that you can have this relationship with him. There's also a third promise we see in this passage that not only is he uh, has a place for us, he's making a way for us to get there, but the promise that Jesus will come back and take us with him. Uh, in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The promise that Jesus will come back and take us with him. Uh, some of us might be feeling left behind, that you're wondering, God, where are you? you know, are, are you on the move? Are you acting? Are you real? Are you in my life? And here's a promise that Jesus is saying, I will come back. I will be there for you. I will uh, be there right beside you, actually. Uh, there's a saying with uh, the elite uh, U.S. Army Ranger. I don't use many Army examples, but this is a good one. A uh, U.S. Army Ranger, and their creed is this, I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. That's part of their creed. Uh, all this originates from the Latin phrase, Nemo residio, which means leave no one behind. Um which is, you might, many of you might have watched the movie Nemo. Nemo means nobody. Uh, that's what the Latin word for that means. Uh, there's a branch of the U.S. Air Force called the Pararescue, and I, and I love this. Uh, th th there's a uh, branch of the U.S. Air Force called the Pararescue Men and Women, uh, whose sole purpose is to recover and give medical treatment. Uh, to personnel uh, in humanitarian and combat situations, their, their peer objective is to go and rescue people. Uh, th that's their pure objective. And their creed uh, is this. It is my duty as a pararescue man to save life and to aid the injured. I will be prepared at all times to perform my assigned duties quickly and efficiently, placing these duties before personal desires and comforts. These things I and we do that others may live. 
I love that logo that they have. We do this so that others may live. And I'm giving credit to the U.S. Army and Air Force and all that, but all of this really originates from God. He is the original Paris rescue person. <laughs> he is the person that said, Nemo, residio, no one will be left behind. That I will go back for everyone. In fact, this is all God's idea. He's the one that says everyone matters. Every life matters because I created every life. Everyone in this world matters. All humankind, every person on this earth that has lived and never will live matters. And I've come so that they will have life. Sounds familiar, right? <laughs> this logo that they took. Uh, nothing new under the sun. That God sent his son to die behind enemy lines for everyone. To sacrifice his life for you and for me so that we can have this life. That Jesus will go onto the cross in this passage in John 14 in a little bit for the sake of all humanity so that we can experience this new life in him. And the presence of Jesus, this experience of him being with us, uh, it isn't only ex experienced in the second coming. Some people use this passage for the second coming or when we go to heaven, but I believe it's actually for the immediately right now. He's saying, where I'm going, I'm going to come back. And they experienced that right away, three days later, uh, the, the disciples. But for those of us here, that there's a promise. And we see this later on in John 14, 16 to 17, that we're not only meant to experience this uh, presence of Jesus in the future, but right now, right here in this moment. In John 14, 16, just a little bit, a few verses later, if you flip down in your Bibles, says this, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth to so the Holy Spirit that we speak of. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So this presence that we have in, in God, this presence where he's like, I'll come back and take you is not only in the future tense, in the second coming, where one day we'll see God in heaven and be with him forever. It's that, that experience, that eternal life experience is meant for us right now, right here. In a COVID year or not a COVID year, when you're going through the worst year of your life or when it's the best day of your life, the best year of your life, when you're going through the pain and when you're going through pleasure, when you're in the mountaintops and you're in the valley below, God is with us through that all and he has come back and he has shown us what it means to have this new life. And Jesus is saying, I will come to you, whether you call yourself a Christian or not Christian this morning, that he is the way for us to experience God. Because at the heart of Christianity is not just a promise, but it's a promise made by a person. And this person is, is Jesus. At the heart of Christianity is a person. And it hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why when someone goes to disprove a, a movement or disproves a religion, you go straight to the founder, the founder of the religion, to disprove the religion itself. And people have been trying to disprove Jesus for a very long time, for a very long time. But Jesus has stood the test, even though we can't put him up to the test because he is God. But he will entertain the idea <laughs> because to show us how much he loves us, that he is who he says he is. And that he's proved that by the way that he lived and died and resurrected and ascended to heaven. So in verse 4, he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas says, said this, Lord, we don't know 
we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? In verse 6 is a famous passage. I am the way, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love that there. Jesus could have been like, Thomas, you really don't understand any of this. I don't need to answer your questions. I've been with you for three years. <laughs> I've shown you every single way and who I am and what can I, I can do. But God is gracious and he's loving and he's kind and he's patient. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a truth statement. That in itself excludes because he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I proved it in the way that I've lived, in the way that I, I, have, I have shown my life before you, shown, shown who God is before you. And I love this. Jesus says, you know. Thomas is like, I don't know. Uh, but Jesus is like, you do know in verse 4. You do know the way. You know, you have knowledge. You, you possess information about this. You have, you, you, you have enough resources to make a decision about this. You do know. Uh, you do know the way because you've been with me. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if you want to know whether this Jesus is who he says he is, then you have to walk with him. That you have to be alongside him. That you have to see him for who he really is. That he is the truth. Uh, and, and, and the way. The way I love how Eugene Peterson um uh, he, in his message translation Bible, he translates the way as the road, uh, which is what the Greek word literally means, that Jesus says, I am the road. I'm literally the road, the path that you need to be on. Like the Inca Trail up to Machu Picchu. You, I am the road. I literally am the road that you need to be on in order to be, uh, to, to be with, with, with to, uh, be, be to, go, uh, to go to God. And I'm also the truth. I'm also the life. That I am the way, that he doesn't simply teach the way, but he is the way. And that he is the way that as you're with him, he literally is the way to God. He is the map. And in the book of Acts, if you get an opportunity to read the book of Acts, uh, the early church was described as the way. That's how they were referred to. They wouldn't say, hey, did you go to church this morning? There would be, or, or do you call yourself a Christian? They would say, do you belong to the way? Like That, that was the way that they, they, they talked about Christianity. Uh, and here, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's only through Jesus. Only through Jesus that we get to experience and get to know and get to have this peace uh, through God. And this truth, meaning that Jesus himself, it's a solid reality. That as you get to know him, he unveils and he shows this word for truth. Is, it shows itself to be really as it is as you discover more. That when you get to know this Jesus and you get to discover who he is, it becomes more and more true. Not because we're caught in the cycle, it's because you can come to realize that this is the truth. And he is the life, that he gives life, that he's the reason for living, that he is enough in all things. And I want to wrap it up this morning and come down to this, that we could argue time and time again that there are many ways and there are many different beliefs. But it, we have to come down to this understanding of how Jesus really is the way. That Jesus has made a way for you because he's been seeing us as humanity wander around and try to discover our own way, our own path. So Jesus has made a way for us to experience God and his goodness today. But the big question for us I want to end off with this morning is, are you still trying to make a way for yourself? Are you still trying to make a way for yourself? 
and the way you're trying to build up your life and what you're pursuing and what you're trying to find your identity in and, and things that you think will give you joy, but really it ends up exhausting us. Are you still trying to make a way when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and you've come to me, you will experience God. You will come to know this peace. You will come to know this joy. The Christianity is the way because Jesus is the way. And Christians, as Christians, we don't say this to exclude or to hurt people's feelings. We say this because we love you too much. And we have experienced this joy in God, that we experience his goodness. And we come to say he is who, really who he says he is. And Jesus says this truth claim not to be arrogant, but because he loves you. He wants you to have life. He wants you to experience heaven, not just in the future, but right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to come and to save us and to live among us. Father, you love us enough to send your son Jesus on to this earth to live a, live a life and to die a death that he didn't deserve so that we can have this new life, God. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would experience you as the way, the truth, and the life. That it won't just be head knowledge, God. That it would transcend our, 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 our knowledge and move into our hearts. That we would know you and that to be true. Father, I pray for our church and everyone here that we would experience you for who you are that we experience you as uh, the way, not the ways of the world and the ways that we think are best, but you know the way to thriving. You know the way to true life. May we trust you in that. God, may we, we give our whole lives to you. May we experience new life, God. That this, this time, it's been tough. It's been difficult. We, we're in a time of wandering where we're tired. So Father, fill each every single one of us with the Holy Spirit again, that we experience this joy that knows no bounds and this unshakable hope that can't be taken away from the world. Father, we thank you that you are the way, that you prove yourself to be the way, that we don't need to find our own way. So Father, may you help us to lay down our pride and may you help us to seek you instead and to trust and to follow you this morning. Correct us of our wrongs. Make us aware, God, of the ways that we have fallen short the ways that we're trying to build up our own life. And may our lives be built upon you, the rock and foundation, our rock in our own salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.